Amen. Turn to the book of Philippians, if you would. And I've, I've kind of wrestling with what to speak about and a word of advice that Pastor Montoro has given me in the past that I've really kind of clung to when I get a chance to speak uh, somewhere other than our church is to feed the people which you have been fed. And I think that that's really good advice, and I've actually shared that with other people. And I think it, it's really good if God is talking to you about something, then that's, that's the burden the Lord's put on your heart. So Philippians chapter 4 tonight, and our church is studying in the book of Philippians, and uh, we've been kind of adapting a series that was shared with me, that was given to me to, to share with our church, and uh, adapting it for uh, the culture that we live in, being in, a, in an urban culture, a little bit different and unique challenges to urban life and ministry. And so uh, that's what we've been doing on Wednesday nights in our church, and it's been a blessing uh, you can tell in the writing of the Apostle Paul that he, he truly loved the Philippians and he truly wanted them to have a joyful life. That is the theme of the book is joy. You could call it finding joy in Christ or discovering joy as you serve Christ. And he, he it's just very, very clear. In fact, in Philippians chapter four, verse four, maybe you have this verse memorized. If you don't, I promise you could probably have it memorized by the end of the night. It's rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. And so I think in Sunday school you sing a song that where the song is those words, right? Is that verse, scripture song. So that is exactly what Paul wanted for the Philippian believers, the church at Philippi, was he wanted them to have joy. Now notice, I didn't say he didn't want them to not have problems, okay? We're going to have problems, okay? That's just a given. Uh, so because that's a given... We need to know what to do in light of that. And he gives them a lot of admonition about how to deal with, deal with issues. He kind of points out to them that there are some problems that are obvious. You could say persecution of the church would be a problem you might expect as a Christian. And in our day and age, I wouldn't say that persecution is quite the same, at least not in American culture. But there is persecution of churches around the world. There are places in the world, and they're not far-flung places. They're places that have huge urban cities just like ours and that have wealthy governments and have, you know, all, all the same things. But there's places where you can't openly be a Christian. You can't pass out tracts. You know, I, I, you can't uh, invite people to church unless you're really sure they're not going to tell the government on you. There's places like that in the world. There's places like that, countries with hundreds of millions, over a billion people, one in particular I'm thinking of, uh, China, that has anti-conversion laws. India's that way, at least for foreign missionaries. And so you're going to have challenges. Persecution might be one. But then he brings up some kind of unlikely places. He even goes on and talks about how problems or troubles can come in church life. Sorry. <laughs> it's true. Because if you've got people, you've got problems, even among Christian people. And so there'll always be friction. There'll be problem people that come in and out of the church. And he addresses that, especially in chapters, chapter 3 about uh, and in the beginning of chapter four as well. Uh, and he quelches some problems that are reported to him from Epaphroditus. And he wants the church to find joy in spite of, or a better way to say it might be, through their difficulties. As they go through difficulties, not to just give up, but to endure through them and face them, uh, meet them boldly, and to find joy in Christ as they, they serve him. Well, one of the difficulties or challenges that comes up in a believer's life, besides those that I mentioned, is that of worry. 
worry. Do you ever worry? Some people say, Pastor Mike, I'm a worrier, you know. And then some guys, you know, a lot of our guys are gone tonight. They're all at the at the uh, men's retreat. Guys worry, too. We just wear it a little bit differently. Right. And uh, but we worry. Some of my worry lines are starting to come out here. Maybe you've noticed. I don't know. Got some worry gray probably sprouting up there. We worry. We just worry. It manifests itself in different ways. You might see a guy working hard, you know, building something or, uh, you know, he's at working hard, but he's just worrying. That's just how he shows his worry. <laughs> he puts his worry into work. And uh, or perhaps, you know, the ladies and she's in there and she's cleaning away. And, you know, you ask, hey, is everything OK? I'm fine. You know, and that's how she deals with worry, you know, is by cleaning, whatever. Uh, but, you know, we all have our ways of kind of coping with worry. But worry is something that touches the life of every believer. And what our passage tonight is going to show us, we're going to read it in just a moment, it's just two verses, is that God gives us not only a cure to worry or what to do when we're worrying, but what I, I think that we probably understand that. If you're worrying, then you should uh, seek the Lord, and uh, we, we get that in times of difficulty. But what I hope we're going to understand by the end of the lesson tonight is that God gives us something to deal with worry, not when we're worrying, but even when everything's okay. Something to protect ourselves when troubles come and worry overtakes us. Because while we talk about worry, we're worried about something, we understand that worry can evolve rather quickly to where we can get into a state of anxiety, where we can have the physical manifestations of worry, like uh, blood pressure problems and ulcer problems and taking things out on other people and letting it get into your relationships. All these things are, are possible, but not only that, it can affect our spiritual life. When worry takes hold in our life, it can affect our walk with God, our communication with him, our witness. You know, sometimes, you know, if you're overcome with worry, you're probably not thinking, you know what? The way I'm going to deal with this, I'm going to give me a stack of tracks and tell someone about Jesus. Right. Typically, when we're worrying, we think about ourselves. So the, the Apostle Paul wants to deal with that, I believe, in the text. And God wants to deal with that in the text tonight. And I want to deal with that in the text tonight, that what to do when we worry. But not only that how we can protect ourselves from worry. Now, when a pastor, and we'll read it in just a second, but when a pastor talks about problems and troubles, I promise you it's not to minimize those troubles, right? Sometimes it's good to hear someone else's problems, and that can give you some clarity about your own. Uh, just last week, uh, we went to a preacher's conference in, in Missouri, and we heard Brother Sam Thomas, who's going to be here uh, in a few weeks, I believe, missionary to India. And, uh, and he's going to be here, and he's going to be a couple other churches. It's going to be in our church. Somebody asked me last week, they said, so how much does it cost for you to bring in a missionary? And I said, nothing, because I steal them from open door. And, uh, and that's the truth. If you guys are having a missionary, then I usually say, well, can you guys put them up for a few more nights? And I get to have them for a service. And I love that. I enjoy that. And uh, that's one of many things that I, I bum from open door, for sure. But uh, I, I, I definitely appreciate that very, very much. And Brother Thomas, he got up in front of the group of preachers and he talked for like two minutes. And after two minutes, all my problems got really small, hearing about what it's like to serve God in India. He's talking about the boys in his church washing their shirt on a rock. They're not wearing a shirt. They're washing the shirt because it's the only shirt they have. And they wanted it to be nice for church. You know, next time I stand in front of my closet and go, oh, I have nothing to wear. I'm going to be thinking about that boy washing his shirt on a rock. And that'll help me. That one of my worries will go flying right out the window. When, I, when that comes to mind. But that's not to minimize our problems. Sometimes you hear people talk about first world problems, right? That, I think it was a clean water campaign that was pretty effective. 
And, you know, it had like a poor person in Africa saying things like, I always hate it when I need two routers so my Wi-Fi will be in, over my entire house. You know, and it was meant to like let you see like you have first world problems. Not really that big of a deal. That's that's healthy. That's good to a certain extent. But that's not to minimize the legitimate worries and troubles that you have in your life. I don't think I would be giving doing you service tonight to get up here and say the problem to worry is just don't worry. The problem to worry is just, well, God's got it all under control, so there's no need to worry. I mean, it's true. God does have everything under control. But it's also true that life has legitimate problems, legitimate hurts, legitimate fears. I can remember when we were first here on our kind of survey trip and I, we were driving around and I told Pastor, I can't help but being a little bit afraid. You know, we, he was taking, I think he was trying to scare us. I don't know. He took us down a really rough area. And he goes, good, because there's some things you should be afraid of. You know, people talk about, I don't have any fear or hey, no regrets. I, if you don't have some regrets in your life, I don't think you're really thinking about your life very, very well. Right. So there are legitimate worries. There are legitimate concerns in life. And so I don't mean this tonight. And I, I think it'll be obvious. I don't mean to just just dismiss this. I don't at all. When we sing the song, does Jesus care? Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched by my grief. Like, I believe that. I believe that. And as a pastor, I don't want to minimize anyone's problems. I know that people, I know we're all New Yorkers. And the thing about being a New Yorker is when you step out your front door, what's the first thing you do when you step out your front door? You put your game face on, right? Like the don't mess with me world, I am on a mission. But you've been the person that's suffering and hurting and walking down the sidewalk and feeling like no one knows, no one cares. And you're carrying real burdens in your life. What I think these verses are going to do for us tonight is help us before we get to that place. So that when that place comes, and inevitably problems come, financial troubles come, people in our family pass away, we have concerns that come up in our life, relationships go awry, so that when those times do come, and they will, we're going to be ready. Because we're going to have what God has given us to take us through those times. And it's found right here in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. The, the, where I get the idea of worry is from the second word of verse 6. Be careful. That's how, the same way we would say the word worry. Be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. How to protect yourself from worry. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we thank you for this night and thank you for your word. Lord, I know that many Christians have called Philippians 4, 6, and 7 their life verses. And rightly so. They are words to live life by. They are worthy to be hung on a wall, sewn on a pillow, hidden in the heart, uh, memorized. Lord, they're just, these are verses that have done Christians well down through the centuries. And Lord, I pray that we would rediscover them anew tonight, the truth that is in them, Lord. And that, Lord, we would find the peace of God that passes all understanding. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. There's... Uh, 
Well, let me start by saying this. Worry, it, it can plague many believers. Worry. So let's define what we mean by that. In the verse here, the worry is, it, the, you, you get the words, be careful. Be careful. That is worry. Be careful for nothing. So we're addressing the idea of worry or anxiety or concern. Um, the definition there from the dictionary would be to have an anxious concern based on an apprehension about possible danger or misfortune. Warren Wearsby more colorfully illustrates it this way. He says, it's to be pulled in different directions. You ever feel that way? See some of these moms, they're being pulled around tonight in a whole bunch of different directions. Sometimes what you're seeing them go through on the outside, we can all go through on the inside, right? We're being pulled this way and that way. He continues, he says, our hopes pull us in one direction, but our fears pull us in the opposite direction. And we are literally pulled apart by our hopes and our fears. He further goes on and says the old English root from which we get our word worry means to strangle. Yikes. <laughs> worry can be strangling. Can it? it can feel that way, like it's got a squeeze on you. He adds worry is wrong thinking of the mind and wrong feeling of the heart about circumstances, people and things. My wife is a Bible college graduate as well, and she shared with me a lot of things that she's learned in the classes geared around helping ladies. They have many classes to help women with counseling and living life, things like that. And most of the truths in there I find to apply pretty equally to the men as well. <laughs> but they're, they're geared towards women. But one thing I hear her repeat often to other ladies as she's counseling to them is the idea of thinking properly. Having your thoughts under control. Seems weird, doesn't it? But you have to have your thought life under control. You have to have your thought life submitted to God. You have to tell yourself, there's some roads I'm not going down. You know Astoria pretty well. Are there some roads in Astoria you wouldn't be caught on at this time of night or later tonight? Probably. There's, is there some thoughts you've said, you know what? I'm not going there. I'm not entertaining that. Having right thinking is important. And not only that, right feeling in your heart is important. This may be surprising, but it must be said to our generation that everything you're feeling is not right. I know you were told to listen to your heart and follow your feelings and everything like that. But that's not good. That's not good. You wouldn't want a criminal to follow his heart and his feelings, would you? If a, if a, if a spouse was having desires for somebody else, you wouldn't tell them to follow their heart and their feelings, would you? You'd say your feelings are wrong. Our feelings can be wrong at times, can't they? Worry can bring us down those roads. We tend to worry about a lot of things. Bills, tests, taxes, relationships, kids, cars, time, clothing, friends, finding a spouse, health concerns, aging, the weather, our appearance, the future. And that's just to name a few. <laughs> we have lots of things to worry about. And worry can hurt your spiritual life. If you'll turn with me to Matthew, we'll just look up a couple of verses here, where Jesus repeatedly addresses this idea about worry. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. Therefore, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly father knoweth that you have need of these things. 
But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. You notice Jesus isn't telling his disciples, don't buy clothes, don't buy food, don't buy shelter. But he's saying, if you have these things, there's no need to worry. You have the basics in life. Seek first God's kingdom. And those things that you really need will be added to you. If you're seeking God's kingdom, then you'll be looking for work. I think that those things are inseparable. We're talking about, we're preaching through Proverbs on Sunday night in our church. And it is inescapable how many times Solomon talks about the sluggard. And how many times he talks about a person who will not work. Now, if somebody needs help and assistance and charity, certainly nothing wrong with that. If they need it because they cannot work. But if they need it because they will not work, then that is a problem <laughs> that, that God addresses. And as we're seeking God, then we're, go- we're, not, we're going to have the things that we need. It can also hinder the word of God in our life. Look, turn over to Matthew 13. Matthew 13. Jesus' parable here of the sower and the seed. One of the four mentioned is he also, verse 22, he also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becometh unfruitful. Did you notice the wording there? And the care of this world, the worries of this life have overtaken this person. So they're able to sit in a context where the seed is given to them. They have the word. They have everything they need for growth, but they're unable to grow because it's being choked by the word. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been that person. I've been the person, I've, I've attended a church of over 2,000 people with one of the best preachers I've ever heard, week after week after week, and I've sat in that church and been backslidden and not been involved in the message and not listening to what's being said. Why? Because I was choked with worry. I was worried about my job. I was worried about my family. I was worried about the bills. I was worried about this and that. And though, even though I was in a place where the seed was plentiful and God's word was abundant, I couldn't hear because I was full of care and worry. Don't tell me I'm the only one that's ever been there tonight. Give me a good head nod if you're down with that. I mean, that's the truth, isn't it? We can be in a place, oftentimes we might say, well, you know, the pastor's just not on it and I'm not being fed. Well, it may be that you're so full you've got no room for anything else. It may be that you're so choked with worry that you cannot open up and receive the, word, receive, the seed, receive the seed or the word that's being given to you. Worry can do that to you. The cares of this life, that can happen. Look over in Luke chapter 10, and this will be our last one tonight, and then you can just go back to Philippians 4. Luke chapter 10, when you think of a worrier in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, this person probably comes to mind. The story of Mary and Martha. And you know the story, I'm sure, well, about when Jesus was in their home and how Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet, and Martha was busy serving. And in uh, Luke 10, verse 41, Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, that word, there's the word again, careful about, and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. You see, Mary had a lot to do as well, but she had a choice to make. Am I going to be careful? Am I going to be worried? Or am I going to sit at Jesus' feet and listen to him? They both had a choice to make. Mary made the right choice. She sat down at Jesus' feet. So, but I want to tell you tonight that, and you can go back to Philippians 4 there, and we won't, be, we won't be turning anywhere else. 
But I'm here to tell you with an encouraging word tonight that God has a prescription for dealing with worry. There's a solution in the Bible that can help you with worry. I won't say that if you follow the solution, all your worries will poof, go away. It's not magic. But it is God's prescription for dealing with worry. Not only when you're worrying, but when you're not. That if you will take the prescription that God gives in our verses tonight, even when things are going good, when trouble comes, you'll be ready. Because you will have done what this verse says, and you will be prepared for when real trials in life come. Any guess? One word. Prayer. Prayer is God's gift to you to protect you from worry. To fortify you. To strengthen you when troubles come. Look at it again in our verse. Verse 6 of chapter 4. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. So there's three things there that I want to just kind of point out that all have to do with prayer. They're kind of three parts of the same whole. He mentions prayer, and prayer generally is talking to God. Of a young Christian in our church who was just saved a few months ago, and he sat me down and he said, Pastor, what is prayer? And I gave him a big pastorly answer that was probably so theologically sound and like it was just right out of a theology book. And he goes, well, that's great. But like, what do you actually do when you pray? <laughs> I said, man, I'm glad you're here. When you have new Christians around, they just bring a breath of fresh air into the place. And it's such a good thing. And we talked about that. And that's where we started. Prayer is talking to God. That's what it is. Talking to God? Well, God is holy and, and, and uh, he's above his creation. Yeah, you, he's so holy that he's above his creation. But because Jesus died on the cross, he brought us access to God. We're able to come to God. And I explained to him that usually you'll hear at the end of a prayer, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. And that's a perfectly appropriate way to pray. But remember, it's that that gives you access to God in the first place. Sometimes, just to change things up, I'll pray, I'll say, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come before you, or something like that. Because that's the only reason I'm there. I'm not there because of myself. I'm only able to come before God because of what Jesus did for me. And so sometimes I'll I'll start, I'll front end that thing and, and say, Lord, I come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then maybe I'll still end it that way. And Jesus, just as a reminder... I'm only able to pray because of what Jesus did for me. He gave me access to God that I wouldn't otherwise have. Y'all look tired tonight. Let's, uh, let's brighten up a little, amen? Got air conditioning in here. It feels good. I've, it's paradise up here on this platform. This is nice. Whew. So prayer is talking to God. It implies trust. We're coming to God not like, well, I've already done everything else, but just to cover my bases, I think I'll pray. No, it's coming to God with, with a sense of trust that I can give this to God and I know he's going to hear me. He's not going to judge me. He wants me to cast my cares upon him, right? Because he cares for us. All my cares, actually, are supposed to be cast upon him. Sometimes you'll bring a... Have you ever brought a problem to someone and they just throw it right back in your face? That's not fun. That's not... Hopefully you have some friends in your life that you can count on. A friend is somebody you can really kind of unburden yourself onto and... And, and they to you, and, and you can have that sort of relationship. Why? Because there's trust there. You know, they're not going to go blabbing it to somebody else. They're not going to read you up one side and down the other and, uh, you know, preach a sermon at you, you know, just because you're struggling with somebody. I mean, a real friend will listen to your problems. You can trust that person. You can trust God. You can trust God. 
oh, but you know, I, you know I've, I've been here before. You can trust him. He's not going to rub your nose in it. He's a good God. He's way better than sometimes we, 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 sometimes we don't realize how good he really is. Because how, how, who else can you come to like that? Who else can you come to like that? It just totally unburden yourself. And you can come before a holy God and he listens to you that way. I think he's manifest that care in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the apostles often came to him with, as we're looking at it, well, silly questions. But they were unburdening their cares and concerns on Jesus. They could trust him. And he listened. And he didn't throw it back in their face. He helped them through it. It says in the verse, prayer and supplication, doesn't it? Supplication is not really a word we use very much, is it? I can't think of any time I ever say this word. But supplication is a great Bible word. And it has to do with the idea of listing specific requests or petitions. The idea of urgently pleading with God. When we have supplications, we, we think of this as a, like our prayer list. Where in Wearsby put it this way, he said, an earnest sharing of our needs and problems. Supplication is not a matter of carnal energy, but of spiritual intensity. That's your prayer list. That's when you sit down and, and you spiritually struggle with the Lord over the needs and concerns in your life. When you say, Lord, I need this, or I need wisdom about how to handle this, you bring those things down before him. Romans chapter 10, verse 1 is a great example of that. When Paul says that his heart's desire uh, and prayer, for God's, for, prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. That's strong language. Strong desire that Israel would be saved. You know, some people say, is it wise to pray that New York City would be saved? Well, Paul was praying that Israel would be saved. Yeah, that's fine to pray that way, to, to have that as our supplication before God. And then he says, prayer and supplication in the verse with thanksgiving because thanksgiving or thankfulness should accompany our prayers that's a good thing to do just to change now you should always feel free to bring your requests before god but just to change things up sometime on yourself try having a prayer time with god a few minutes five minutes ten minutes push yourself maybe go longer where you decide for this prayer time, I'm not going to ask for anything. Now, it's okay to ask for something. It says right there to pray with supplication. But just to change things up every now and then, try that. A little homework assignment for you. See if you can get through five minutes of prayer without asking for something. Right? That'll change your prayer life a little bit. That'll force you to be thankful. That'll be force you to consider who, who it is you're praying before. Like that, That's a great exercise. And that'll teach you thanksgiving. It's always good. In fact, on Sunday nights, we, our prayer meeting is the same as yours. And we praise before we pray, right? Before we bring our requests before God, we thank Him for what He's done. And when we, get, when we, get, when we purposefully give an account of the things God has done, it, it informs what our prayers are going to be. So we might say, Lord, do this great thing because you've done this great thing. <laughs> Lord, give us this because you've given us that. And, and we're able to pray to God that way. Because we have made time for Thanksgiving. I think for sake of time, I'm going to just jump ahead a little bit here. The Bible tells us that we should, that when we pray, we'll find peace. Folks, it's not a really complicated lesson tonight. I tell, I, here's something I say to our, I was, wasn't going to say it because I think I say it too much, but I forgot I don't normally preach here, so it's new to you. So here I'll say it. I say it to our people all the time. Prayer is what makes Christianity real. It's what makes Christianity real. 
Okay? You can come to church. Most of Christianity you can do. Catch what I'm saying here. I'm not trying to say this in in the wrong way. You can do without God. Here's what I mean. A preacher can preach a sermon without God. You can come to church and dress up and be nice and shake hands and sing the songs and listen without God. You understand what I'm saying? And I don't think any of us want that. We don't want that, right? But we all know ourselves and we know that it's possible for us to completely detach the spiritual from the carnal acts of serving. It's possible to do that. And we don't want that. I mean, in my own prayers before God as, as a minister, Lord, I don't want to just do the motions of ministry. I want the Spirit of God with me I, because, so that my ministry will be far more effective than without Him in my own carnal strength, but so that you can reach people in a way that I can't. So that people can say, wow, the Lord touched my heart about this in the sermon, and it wasn't even something I brought up <laughs> because the Spirit of God's working in their life. I want that. I think you want that too, right? Yeah, we, we want that in our lives, and we, we understand that we're capable of kind of getting by without it. Prayer is what makes Christianity real because all those things are can be done carnally. But prayer is something that is just you and God. Now, I understand you may pray with your family around the dinner table or in your, if you have a family devotion, you pray with your spouse, just pray with a friend. Great. But I'm talking about prayer that what Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount where you go into the closet. Now, we have to adjust that a little for New Yorkers because most of us don't have closets, right? But I think what he means by closet is a place where you're isolated, right? You can close your eyes on the train and have some pretty good prayer time. I know this. You can. You can have some good prayer time while you're walking your route to work or home. You can have prayer time while you're driving, although don't close your eyes if you do that. But you can have prayer in a lot of different ways. But a place where you can, where you can have time alone with God You understand that's what makes Christianity real. That's what makes your Christian walk real. Because if you do everything else and you don't do that, you're doing your Christian life in the flesh, not in the spirit. When you're in prayer, there's no pretense. It's you and God. (laughs) And And I'm not saying that in a threatening way. I'm inviting you to it. I'm saying prayer is amazing. And I would encourage you over the next few days, maybe you already have a calendar planned for the week, sit down and rearrange that thing and say, I'm going to have some time alone with God. Five minutes. Ten minutes. If you prayed ten minutes, you'd be doing better than most Christians, I, I guess. Elon Musk, you know, he runs Tesla and space company and a neuro, neuro tech company and probably some other companies, or the drilling company and a bunch of other companies. His schedule, he has a personal assistant, probably several. His schedule for the day is planned every in five-minute blocks. Every five minutes of his day is planned out. You thought you were busy, right? Everybody's like, oh, when I get rich, I won't have to work. This guy's a billionaire, and he's got five minutes of every day planned out. Yikes. Could you plan out five minutes for God to talk with him? I'm not saying... Oh, yeah, I'll get to that. I mean, I know you're not supposed to take out your phone in church, but go ahead and take out your phone if your calendar's on your phone. Or write it down in your day planner and have time for God. People ask me, you know, for, if they ask me for marital advice, I give them Brother Horton's advice. So many of you remember Brother Horton. And he said, put your family in your day planner. That was his advice he would give. 
Make time for your family. Purposeful time. And he also said, put God in your day planner. Make time in your life for prayer. You have to do it on purpose or it's, it just won't be done. And I'm telling you, it'll be the most rewarding thing in the world because you'll be spending time with God Almighty. Other religions, they're laying out food and incense. They're standing in weird positions on their head trying to get, the, trying to get some sort of deity to listen to them. All you have to do is close your eyes, bow your head. You don't even have to do that, really. But it's good to let the posture kind of reflect what's going on internally. We close our eyes, we bow our heads. Some people even choose to fold the hands to kind of just submit themselves, their body to the Lord. Maybe kneel. Some people like to kneel down. Some people like to, and it's, I mean, it's clearly evidence in the Bible, even to lay all the way down. If you can do that in a room in your house. Lay it out on your face before God. Just to lay down before Him and have that time in prayer. And what will you receive in prayer? Peace. Peace is what protects you from worry. It's what protects you from worry. In your time of crisis, I would come to you and counsel you to seek God in prayer and find peace. And that would be good counsel. But what would be better is if you are living a life that is in prayer and you're on a daily basis discovering the peace of God that, that, that passes all understanding. And then when those difficult times come, you're bringing that peace into the situation. Do you see the difference there? I'm not talking about prayer and the peace that comes from God simply as a prescription when you're sick. Right? You run down to CVS, Dwayne Reed, you get that prescription... Better be feeling better when this is over. Pastor, what do I do? Here's a biblical prescription. That's all good and right. But what we're talking about is building some things in your life, a habit that is consistent over time, so that when difficulties come, you're ready to meet them. And it doesn't mean they're not going to come. And it doesn't mean they're just going to bounce off of you like arrows off a shield or something like that. But through that difficult and dark, hurting time, You'll have the peace of God that passes all understanding. That's the peace God wants for us. And it doesn't, as far as I can tell, come any other way. It's through a life that is given to prayer, constant communion with God, that this is possible. Verse 7, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. When I talk about protection, it comes from that verse right there. The words, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Remember, we talked about how you can have wrong feelings, the heart, and wrong thoughts, the head. The peace of God that comes through prayer keeps your head and your heart. When we talk about keep, what we're saying is that it will protect you. It will protect you. Listen, consider these verses. Psalm 29, 11. The Lord will give strength unto his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Isaiah 26, 3. That will keep him, there, there's that word again, in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. John 14, 27. The Lord said, peace I, give unto you, I leave unto you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. The, the definition of the word peace there would be a state of freedom from anxiety and inner 
turmoil. Uh, John Lydia put it this way. He said, when the exhortations of verse uh, 4, 5, and 6 are heeded, the peace of God will flood one's troubled soul. Every child of God has peace with God through justification by faith. That's Romans chapter 5, verse 1. But the peace of God relates, in, in, in the context of these verses, relates to the inner tranquility of a believer's close walk with God. I'm not saying you're walking around like a monk, home, you know, nothing like that. But you're, there's some things in your life are settled. Your feelings and your thoughts are not wildly out of control. They are reined in and fortified by the Lord, by his constant work in your life. And if you'll be that kind of person, you'll be able to help the person whose thoughts and heart are out of control. You hear me? The the, the idea of keep. Sometimes in Old English, they would have, uh, in, in, in England, they would have a keep or a place of protection. We would think of it in, in America that we developed, um, well, since the Revolutionary War, but especially after the Civil War, we, we developed armories. I don't know, uh, uh, I live over in Brooklyn, and if you go down to the uh, south end of Park Slope, you have the Brooklyn Armory, one of the most historical buildings. It's, a na- it's on the National Register of Historic Places, and it is an amazing building. It looks like a brick castle. I don't know how else to describe it. It looks like a brick. It's huge. It's absolutely huge. And uh, it was built, uh, oh, I think uh, a little after our church was, uh, 1870s, I believe. And it, um, it's, uh, it was for the militia of the state of New York. Now, this might be hard to imagine, but back in the day, guys weren't, when, the, when the, you think of like the, someone from the government coming, it's usually like to collect taxes or to check your building, or something like that. Uh, Back in the day, people from the government used to come to towns, even right here in New York City, and they would have all the men in the town come outside that were aged 15 to 50. And you had to come out there with your rifle, and you had to show them that you were proficient with your rifle, that you had one, that you were proficient with it. You know, they would have you go shoot at a target, and that you had all your gear and your kit ready just in case. There was, a, there was war. So, like, to be a citizen, there was some responsibility. If you went to the average man on the street today and said, how are you being a responsible citizen? I think you'd get a lot of blank stares. Uh, I don't know. I pay my taxes, I guess. You know, can you imagine a time like that? Guys, could you imagine somebody showing up? And all the men in the town had a responsibility for parts of the armory. So that Brooklyn Army is huge, but guys knew, like in the event of a situation where there would be, need to be military uh, strength, a militia called, then guys, they had an assignment within the armory of like what they were supposed to do logistically to make the thing work. Today it's a YMCA. <laughs> but the point of those places was it was supposed to not only help in times of trouble, but it was to show that we were prepared for times of trouble. Do you see that? The peace of God doesn't just help you in the time of trouble. It prepares you. It keeps your heart and your mind. It prepares you for the time of trouble. In some ways, I invite you to that tonight. I invite you to that. To enlist. <laughs> and to be one of the Christians who isn't just going from crisis to crisis in their life. Isn't just saying... I don't need God. I don't need church. I don't need all your rules. I don't know you people. You're driving me crazy. Oh, no, I have a problem. All of you need to help me now. Too many Christians live that way. I invite you to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. I invite you to prayer. 
And I invite you, as you know God in prayer, that you would find their peace to keep, to protect, to fortify your thoughts and your feelings, your mind and your heart. And you'll find their peace, not only for the dark days of trouble, but every day, every day. You will have God's protection. You don't have to worry if you're worshiping. You don't have to worry if you're worshiping. Is there any challenges in your life where there needs to be less worry and more worship? Less worry and more prayer? Is your life characterized by one or the other? Do you keep a prayer list? One, one preacher put it this way from the, from the, the lesson that we're, we're uh, adapting. He said, do you have a prayer list or a worry list? <laughs> I said, what are you worrying about? Oh, well, here we go. What are you praying about? Uh, I don't know. Sometimes they're one and the same, I think. Have you left your mind wide open to the attacks of Satan in the world? Or is your mind fortified, prepared? You know, part of those things, that, that armory, it was kind of a community thing, was that there needed to be discipline. Discipline. You had to take time to practice. Take time to know your responsibility. You have thoughts, you have feelings, and folks, you need to discipline them. You need to, or they'll get out of control. You discipline them through the peace of God that comes from prayer. Spend time in thankfulness to God, speaking to Him, and there you'll be protected from worry. Let's bow for a word of prayer.